Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. So today I'm joined by one of my inspirations in business and actually be safe to say in life. Now, normally with a guest, I would ask them to write me an intro, uh, just a paragraph or two about themselves that I could read out. Instead, I'm going to go with an extract from my book, The Startup Coach. Thanks, Mike. This book is probably the closest of the three reviewed books to how I see Teach Yourself, the Startup Coach. The key strength of this book is the practical steps that the author works through with lists of actions. The book also does not attempt to break new ground with lots of innovative concepts. For this style of book, that is actually a very positive thing. As often, thought-provoking books get caught up in the theory and miss the practical. So, this is the author of The Beer Mat Entrepreneur himself, Mike Southern. Mike, welcome. Thank you, Carl. It's a delight to be here. Fantastic. So, Mike, tell us, who is Mike? Who is Mike? That's a very good question. I ask this all the time. Well, I'm now known as The Beer Mat Entrepreneur because the book's been so popular. Uh, but I've had a long and chequered history as an entrepreneur first, and I've played in a band, I've done all sorts of crazy things. But back in uh, 2001, I was giving an annual, my annual lecture at City University Business School, and 10 years previously it had been about open systems computing, which is the startup I did in the 80s. And, um, but by then, after 10 years, it had migrated to all the funny and not-so-funny stories from my startup days. You know, some things going well, some things going badly, and somebody just said, you should write a book about that. So I thought, right. It's going to be Mike Southern's Famous Life by Mike Southern. Then I realised there was two problems with that. Firstly, I don't write. I mean, I can write, but I'm not that good a writer. Secondly, I mean, who's going to buy a book about me other than my mum, to be quite honest? The answer is nobody. So I took the best piece of advice, which we now give in the Beer Mad Entrepreneur. It's been there from day one, which is find a foil. Find somebody with the opposite set of skills. We may come back sure. to that. And mine is a very brilliant man called Chris West, who I met at school in 1967, so all, over 50 years ago. And we've been friends for life, but he has the benefit of being a philosopher and a novelist. His degree is philosophy, so philosophers make logical models. And he writes novels, novel sets in China. He's written books about the Eurovision Song Contest, about stamps. He's a brilliant writer. He said, there is a book, it's not your life story, and how brilliant you are, why should, why should you read this book? It's a structural guide to entrepreneurship, using the metaphor of going to a pub and writing on a beer mat, of course. This doesn't work everywhere. I was asked to speak in Tehran, I was the coffee shop entrepreneur <laughs> there, but there we go. Anyway, so... Chris produced this brilliant book, and people who knew me saw me on every page. I can see sure. Mike here. People who didn't, it just made sense. And Beer Mad Entrepreneur wasn't its original title. It was going to be called From Acorns to Oaks, which is the name of another very good book by Crispin Woods. Caspian Woods. Uh, Crispin Woods, I forget. Apologies, Mr. Woods. Anyway, um, we're going to call it Acorns to Oaks. We'll use that imagery in the book. There's acorns and there's oak trees in there. But uh, we're in a pub garden with a guy that used to work for the company I, I started in the 80s with my chums, and um, Bill Thompson, a very brilliant man, works for the BBC, it's sure. content. And he said, what's the book called? He said, oh, it's not a great title. What happens? And he said, why not call it The Beer Mat Entrepreneur? Genius. And that was a Genius. million pound comment, I have mm. to say. I've been trying to give him money ever since. Anyway, so the book <laughs> came out originally in 2002, um, and it went to the top of the charts. I've no idea why. I mean, I did various bits of promotion and so on. But it just kind of caught the zeitgeist of the nation at the time. Um, people understood the metaphor, and it was... and mostly people buying the book the best compliment it gets is i read it in one go which is a tribute to chris west uh, arguably absolutely. well no definitely in my view the best writer in the world 
So it's been a very successful book. We've now rewritten it, which is rather a thrill. So. Yeah, so Mike, it was um, clearly an inspiration of mine and mm. actually set the template of how I wanted the Startup Coach to read. So um, hopefully that's testament to how well-structured the book is. Mm-hmm. How many copies of the book have you sold? Um, over 100,000 around the world in various languages over the years, which is good for a business book. I mean, most a business bestseller is typically about 5,000. But it puts us up there with, with some very big names who came up with good intellectual property that weren't famous. I mean, Richard Branson's book, you understand, it's all about sure. Richard Branson, what he's done. But no, we're up there with, with the with the gods, and it's just such a thrill to see your own book in a bookstore. Oh, it really is, isn't it? It's, oh, it's it, the most fabulous thing. And my top tip, I always say this to everybody, is if your book is in the bookstores, go in and sign them, because then this reduces the chance they can return them later. <laughs> and, I, I, and if they don't have a sign by the author sticker, I've made my own. So Fantastic. It's I'm delighted to say, and thanks to Pierce, our authors, I'm terribly grateful for this, it's Book of the Month in W. Smith's Travel, so in your railway stations, your airports, it's there. So I'm in there signing as many as I can, sticking the sticker on. And, but it's, you know, for these next two, three months, just going out, giving away books to people that I, that I meet and I like, and seeing your own book in a bookstore is such a thrill. And it's, a re, it's reaffirming everything that we believed in me and Chris, because the book, I have to say, is 50% me, 50% him. Some people make the mistake that he's some kind of ghostwriter. No, no, no. When we decided to rewrite the book, we spent time in a pub, obviously, a very magical pub, the... It's a pub above platform nine and three quarters in King's Cross. It's obviously magical. The parcel yard. And we had the discussions, a bit like this. Sure. Uh, about something, a topic, something we thought maybe got it right or things have changed. And it's a very robust discussion. It's not an argument, but I'm always fighting it f- from the point of view of a public speaker, because you're mm. a public mm. speaker. Will it get a, a resonance live? Will people like it? Will they applaud? Chris, that's fine, but does it actually make any sense? And then he goes away and writes the book. I mean, sure. do you write your own books? Yes, I do. I mean, I have such admiration of people who can spend that time writing it. Now we're just writing articles all over the place. I just say to Chris, uh, seems like 150 words on networking. He generates it in an instant. Plus, his writing is sublime. He's a great writer because he's a novelist. Yes. No, and that shines through in the book. Mm. Now, the book was first published 2002, Two, I believe. That's right, yeah. Um, so what, what have you seen change in that time? Um... Lots of things have changed and lots of things haven't. The basics are still there, which is you find a foil, somebody of the opposite sets. So if you're sure. an introvert and an extrovert, that would work really well. So I'm the extrovert going out, selling all the time, and Chris is the introvert, delivering on my promises. Uh, the people thing is still hasn't changed at all. Mm. Um, because what makes Beermat different to other books is the different people you need at different stages of your growth plan. So somebody who's brilliant early on may not be happy later and yes. vice versa. Um, the whole internet thing's completely changed. So... As I was just saying to you, um, in the old days, I'd do 100 gigs a year out all over the place. That's not a very efficient way of promoting no, the book. No, no. Uh, because 100 people turn up, 10 might buy it, another 5 might buy it. Much better to do something like this, where I know you're going to get at least two, 200 million people watching. Well, of, of course. Get, Mikey goes without saying. And uh, the speaking world's changed as well, hasn't oh, it? There's a- two, everybody and his dogs are public speaker nowadays. And they're all doing it for free. So I mm. did earn a living. I did earn... You know, a six-figure salary for 10 or 12 years as a speaker with no upsell. It's not sure. like I'm speaking for free and you're going to buy my whatever it is I'm selling later, my workshops or whatever. And I got paid. But, of course, the dilemma there is you, you do the best talk in the world. And my Beatles talk has to be seen to be believed. You may not like it, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's rock star stuff. And it's got Beatles videos in it and so on. People say that's probably the best thing we've ever seen, but they're not going to book you again. Mm. So to get a rebooking is quite hard. But then there's a lot of people with, with stories or they want to change, well, they all have a good intention. I mean, I can't complain about all the other speakers because why not stand up and talk about yourself is what you and I do for a living. Whether they've got the authority to do it, whether they'll change people's lives is a different thing, but caveat emptor. But often a professional speaker is part of a conference compared to 
the members of staff with PowerPoint. Because we're going to have somebody talk at the beginning, then we're going to talk about accounting or yes. something very worthy, which is very subject matter laden. And so somebody getting up, telling a few jokes, being funny, changing people's perspective at the beginning, at the end. We always get the graveyard slots. Mm. First in the morning, wake them all up. In the evening. Or the evening, send, send them off with a smile, which oh, is always send nice. Send them off singing to the bar is my one. But, yes. but again, at the end, you can never over, overrun. Because if you're keeping them from their dinner, you, you know. Do you know, there's, um, there's not a single conference attendee anywhere in the world who had hoped that they'd be there a minute longer. I know. And if, you, just finish early, if you finish five minutes early, you're a hero. This is Absolutely. Great. It's, it's like, we've got an extra five minutes, you go to the bar, it's like, hey. You know. It's the complete opposite to the industrial age, isn't it? It is. Yes. So um, back to business yeah. um, and to focus on the book itself. Mm. Now, obviously at the time of writing, in, back in 2002, mm. there was a lot of dot-com businesses yeah. and... Let's be honest, there was quite a lot of rubbish out there about how to grow a business. Absolutely. And overinflated um, valuations. Mm. Yeah, we, we heard the stories of um, was it pets.com and all, all of these companies back then. Do you see that today we're in a similar situation with, um, with the rise in um, or the hype around artificial intelligence, machine Absolutely. learning and so on? Absolutely, because back then we actually wrote the book as a reaction against the dot-com madness, which sure. I was in. I was working in an incubator, and these young kids mm. were coming in. I'm, I'm being very patronising now. This is already worth £100 million. Pounds. You haven't sold anything. I mean, I'm a salesman. I sell things, and people give me money. That's revenue. That makes sense yes. to me. Again, we've got the same thing now, which is using artificial intelligence and the dreaded word, I'm going to, or words, I'm going to build a platform to... Mm. And people are going to come on and find magic. We're going to make money. We never meet anybody. So hang on, Mike. I can have a business if it's artificial intelligence, yep. machine learning, yep. chuck a bit of blockchain in. Uh, oh, oh, job done. Yeah. I've no idea what blockchain <laughs> is. But no, it's exactly. But it's the idea that there's some bit of computer wizardry, just like the dot-com days, where people will come. And if mm. you only get 0.001% of the marketing shoes in the world, will be billionaires. I've seen this pitch to venture capitalists. And fortunately, it's venture capitalists losing their money, which I don't feel too badly about because I've met a few. Someone knows, someone. <laughs> Um, it, it's, it's rubbish. Basic yes. business is about a human being getting trust from another human being. It can be online. I mean, you trust, for example, Amazon. That's a yes. good example. Yes. I trust Amazon to deliver me stuff tomorrow. And this is why the high street is dying. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is, is a different discussion. But I trust them. And I know that... And also, or I trust it because if something goes wrong with my Amazon transaction, I get my money back without question. Yes. So it's about trust. Now that's on that's Mr. Bezos, the richest man mm, in the world, mm. who most people wouldn't recognise in the street. He's not Richard Branson. No, he's a fascinating. Everybody wants the face of Richard Branson. My airline's better than any other airline because I got Richard Branson. Look at me, kind of thing. That's one way of doing it. Bezos, you know, it's a very interesting model. Of course, that's all shy people's dream. I don't like going out to sell to people. I spend yes. my life teaching people sales and how to get over that fear of walking up to a stranger and explaining what you do and telling a nice story about what you do because you've done a good good. Mm thing. Um, no, most people would love to do it via the internet. And certainly young people who don't understand what business is like. They haven't had the ups and downs that you and I have had. Yeah, but there's, so, al there's also another part to it, I feel, um, Mike, which is entrepreneurship is almost seen as an aspiration nowadays. And oh. part, part of me loves that. Mm -hmm. Because you know, I'm a, the reason I do what I do mm -hmm. is because I hear the rubbish that's taught in schools. Mm -hmm. And you know, I saw my son, who's, um, who is now self-employed. However, um, he left school thinking that he had to get a job. He had mm -hmm. to be a coder. And um, you know, that way of um, bringing kids through the education system, I don't think is right for today. I think people can take control of what they do. However, I, I also fear that people look at the likes of Gary Vaynerchuk. Now, Gary Vaynerchuk is... 
a fantastic guy mm-hmm. in terms of some of the content he delivers. However, um, the pedestal that entrepreneurship is put on mm-hmm. is it, actually quite shocking for me. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's setting false expectations that everybody can be a millionaire mm. tomorrow. And that's, that's hucksterism. It's, it's, it's yes. not real business. Um, definitely now the whole myth of, well, you work hard at school, you get your A-levels, you get a, you get a good degree. In my day, I got paid to do it. Now you've got to pay for it. And then you'll go out and get a job. And then eventually you'll retire with a nice pension. And you're looking forward to your retirement. Yes. I mean, you and I are never going to retire. Partly because we don't actually have a proper job to no. retire from. But we're going to carry on forever. But we're doing something we love. And that's what entrepreneurship is. Mm. And I do entrepreneurship. I mean, I've done a lot of work in councils and places like that where you can keep your council job and keep your pension. But you can be entrepreneurial and try stuff out. Yeah, so entrepreneurship. I mean, that's something I would like mm. to dive into yeah. a little bit deeper, if sure. that's okay. Because Absolutely. it really sits with me with a whole be your own boss ethos. Absolutely, yeah. Um, which is for those um, listeners and viewers who aren't aware of entrepreneurship, it's where you can be within a larger corporate, mm-hmm. um, but actually be entrepreneurial in, in what you do and the way you do it. Perhaps sure. the best example is Google, I would say, um, where they have team members who are solely focused on innovation. Um, but even some quite old school businesses like um, Deloitte, for example, mm-hmm. I know somebody who could only be classed as an entrepreneur there. Um, Mike, it'd be really good to hear your views on entrepreneurship. Sure. Well, the second book we wrote was called The Boredom Entrepreneur, okay. where we worked with the then CEO of Rolls-Royce, Sir John Rose, and this is Rolls-Royce Aero Engines, looking at that whole how do you be entrepreneur in a large structured environment, where there are rules. Some are written down, some aren't. But the main issue you've got there is you've got structures and rules. Yes. And the difference between entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship is, let's say you and I have an entrepreneurial idea in the pub. Tell everybody the next day you might get some business. Yes. If you have a good entrepreneurial idea, which is measured the same way as, as something else, you're going to make more money for the company, you keep it quiet as long as you, you can. And if people say, what are you doing in that room? It's like, oh, it's a training exercise. Right, I bought you a couple of weeks. Because the magic mantra, which we didn't invent for entrepreneurship, is you never ask for permission. You just ask for forgiveness afterwards. Yes. But you've got somebody covering your back. So just as in entrepreneurship, you have a mentor. Once you've built your business model, giving you good advice on what mm. to do. In a company, it's often called a sponsor. Who is A, saying that's a good, good way of doing innovation. That's quite clever. I quite like that. And also, they're kind of covering your back internally. Because when I stand up and speak to entre- entrepreneurs... I'm, I'm giving it large, and I know that they're all loving it, and I know there's some people thinking, if he ever came in here, we'd stop him. He wouldn't even work out how we did it, because we're happy with the way things are. And I've had people say, look, Mike, I'd love to be entrepreneurial, but I retire in five years. If I keep my head down and don't do anything silly, and don't do anything crazy, I will get my pension and I'll be fine. So please just go away and stop bothering. <laughs> and they have a point. No, anybody can be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur any time they like. If you like going for a hospital or a council, because I've done a lot of working councils, you can always go there with a good idea, or you can have a little job you do in the evening just for fun. Absolutely. Driving lessons, dogging, charge for it, because you're providing a service, and you're not even starting a company. It's just a few bob from a holiday. Yes. But if you're getting lots of people calling up and, could you do, do groom my dog as well, or mow my lawn, or whatever, do, do mm. driving lessons for my child, I had this in, in Ellsbury, a lady was doing driving lessons, then the measure is you're making money. That's yes. the measure. It's not the be-all and end-all. You're making money, and you've got profit at the end of it. Have some money for your holiday and you're being just as entrepreneurial as some of us going out and starting a business. Absolutely. And and sometimes these side businesses, mm-hmm. um, side projects, whatever you like to call them, actually become a business in themselves. Oh, completely. Uh, well, as soon as you, you're spending more time doing that and earning more money than your day job, now's the time oh, you your boss Why bother? Yeah, yes. well, can I go to four days a week? Three yes. Days a week? And they're like, great, goodbye. We're, we've got redundancies coming up. Yes. No, it's, it's a spirit inside of you. You want to try some things. And if people say, well, I'm not the entrepreneurial type, well, I say, well, technically there are eight types. There are three broad types mm. we talk about in the book. So 
there's relentless extroverts like you and me. We're called magnets. We yes. actually create attraction. We're out there selling and broadcasting and talking about ourselves a lot. Then you've got people like Chris who are makers. They're actually going to do the work. They're going to write the book. They're mm. going to groom the dog. They're going to do the work. That's a Like your son, he's a coder. He's going to write this code that we say, yes. oh yeah, we'll write, but a coder do that. Finally, and this is where D&D will come in, there's the monitor. Are we making any money doing this? Um, where's the profit and loss, the basic stuff? Because companies only go broke for one reason, they run out of money because they Absolutely. haven't got a right kind of accounting going on, or bookkeeping even. Mm. Or more specifically, they come to you and saying, you're doing quite well with this. Here's how it scales, we do twice the amount. because so we get economies of scale. We won't explain it to Mike, he doesn't understand money. Mm. But So if you have a maker, uh, a magnet and a monitor, that's the perfect team. The monitor you can just hire in for a day at a time. Absolutely. An hour, just get one of your guys in, look at this model, scale mm. it on a spreadsheet, because the people who work in your company love the spreadsheet. My wife loves the spreadsheet. I nearly felt sorry for the builders when she managed it. <laughs> She's just good at that kind of stuff, adding stuff up, getting it organized. This is my worst nightmare. Yes. These, these are my expenses that I remember from the old days. You see, it's very similar. So that model, um, you can draw analogies to the entrepreneur, manager, technician mm, uh, within yeah. the EMIF. Sure. Um, but also, uh, there's a book, great book, uh, Rocket Fuel by mm -hmm. Gino Wickman. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've come across that. Um, where he contends that every business needs a visionary and an integrator. Exactly. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's, it's a different way of slicing it, but it is so true that if you can only be one part of that jigsaw, Mm -hmm. the business is unlikely to succeed. Mm. Exactly. It's about teamwork. Because mm. I do a lot of mentoring, and mostly it's a single individual comes in. I've got to work out which one they are, um, and then I would say, whichever one you are, get the opposite person. When two people turn up, I'm thinking they're onto something here. I'll give you a good yes. example. Um, this young guy came to see me, and he said, our idea is um, ice cream that doesn't make you fat. Okay. This is Oppo I ice would cream. love that. There we go. It exists. It's called Oppo ice cream. Okay. So Charlie and Harry, two brothers, went to Brazil. They were doing paragliding or something, nearly died, but the locals kept them alive with some, some nice food, and they thought, well, let's make sure. ice cream out of it. So I'm with Charlie, who's the, the outgoing one. His brother Harry was there at the time. And I was just saying glibly, oh, um, oh, you should quit your bank and go and work with him. And mm. after that, I thought, oh, gosh, I hope I haven't ruined his life. <laughs> now they're, it's, they're crowdfunding everything, but you've got one guy going out there creating the buzz, the other yes. guy, let's make sure the ice cream does actually make you thinner. So... Find your fault. It's hard though. It's like finding a life partner. Mm. I mean, I was mm. lucky. Chris and I met outside, randomly outside the headmaster study. We we're both coming to school for the first time. We've been friends ever since. And everybody got, got stories of a soulmate or somebody that they've met or haven't met. And they're yes. on Tinder or whatever. It's the same as dating. No, no, it really is. And you know, I joke with my wife, uh, um, my business partner, Ben, mm. is effectively my work wife insofar mm -hmm. as we both bring something to the to the puzzle mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah. I go out there flag waving and yeah. shouting my voice and being seen. Exactly. And Ben makes sure that the stuff that I talk about, but it actually happens. Absolutely. Because I always, I always tell a story that if Chris and I went to a meeting, I'll come out saying, they loved me. I don't know what they thought about yours and listening. And they're going to give us a million pounds immediately. <laughs> and Chris would say, no, they didn't like you. I'm picking up the signals. And what they actually said was they might, might give us yes. half a million if we did A, B, C, D and E. And we can't do that. You said we could, but we can't. Then you have a discussion. So if you've got that foil thing going on where it's not a fight, it's a very robust discussion where you both respect each other. Chris and I are almost telepathic. Mm. But Chris goes off to write an article because he writes the articles for us. I keep saying to him, don't, he said, well, I'll send it to you. No, no, just send it. Yes. Because I, I, I've never seen him write anything that I didn't completely agree with. We're almost mm. telepathic now. When we and, appear live, and for you, do, you, do you put Chris's hat on? Oh, I can, to, pretend, I, I can be in to, Chris mode. To be in, in Chris mode to um, create another view on something that you're working on. Oh, oh completely. Mm. Well, I got this idea that I was going to write a newspaper column. I just thought, I'll write a newspaper. I okay. have these ideas. So I did actually write a column for the Financial Times 
every week for four years. Fantastic. I went into Chris mode. When it stopped, I thought, I'm not doing that again. Yes. Because it's not what I do. If we got that offer again, because you do a column, Chris, you know. <laughs> I mean, if he's short of material, which we, I've got so much IP now. If he's short, we could literally say, well, let's say you said, well, I really like a piece about how you know, veterinary surgeons are struggling in Swindon or something. Sure. Me and Chris go away, we'll come back with something. Um, we'll just brainstorm it in the pub. Yes. And of course, my job is done when he says, I've got enough now. And, you know, I'll have another drink. That's how it goes. Fantastic. So, Oil, talk, is everything. talking about the pub, mm, the, the beer map model. The beer map model. Um, it'd be really good if you can explain to the listeners sure. the beer map model. Sure. Well, there should be at least two of you. Going down to the pub on your own is a bit sad. Yes. There's two of you. Just maybe just think, kicking out a specific idea. So, what we have in our original beer map, which is on the front of the book. Mm. First thing you work on is your elevator pitch. Yes. This is a very well-known term. It's an American term. We should call it a lift pitch, really. In English. <laughs> but it's basically, um, I always ask people for their elevator pitches. And I have to say, some of them assume the elevator gets stuck for several days. It goes on and on and on. So a big thing that Chris does with me is to refine it down to something that literally only takes 15 seconds. Because remember, the lift's going up, they're going to walk out. Sure. And my expectation is, if it, if it works, we'll get 15 minutes where somebody says... Still very sceptical, but I'm curious enough to win 15 minutes. Yes. Because some people are trying to get an order there. You know. So the elements of an elevator pitch are, always starts with the magic beer mat question, where's the pain? The pain or problem? Somebody's got a problem, always an opportunity if you want to sure. put a positive spin. Or you know, the pain, if you've got oppo ice cream, which is, I love ice cream, it makes me fat. Or anyway, or would it be great if we had ice cream that was healthy and delicious? Okay. So pain or problem first. Once you've got a pain, then you get into the premise. Now, when I'm teaching people to do elevator pitches live, I say, look, this is where you're going to ramble on. You're going to come with all the features of your product and everything that's in the book and this and that and the other. You just say, we have a magic wand for solving that, for now. Mm. I mean, I'm not going to tell you anymore because yes. that's consultancy. Proof is the hard bit. Um, so that sounds really, I've got that problem, who doesn't? And you're going to solve it with a magic wand or something. Where's the proof? Your first customer is your proof. Yes. So, and you always sell your first sale to one of your friends. I mean, friends is a broad term. Mm. Your best friend, of course, they're going to buy it just to shut you up or something. But somebody you know, somebody who maybe trusted you in a different context, saying, look, try out our lawn mowing. Do us a favour. Yes. And then you ask for money. It has to be money. Um, one, of, one of the biggest things that I preach mm-hmm. is that well wishes and that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic and it might give you confidence, mm-hmm. but it doesn't pay for mortgage, does it? Right, so here's the difference. Okay, every business idea I've ever heard has been brilliant. I've yes. always thought... Someone is going to make a fortune doing this. It's whether the person I'm speaking to is that person. Is the only mm. And the difference between a good business idea and a bad one, in a good business idea, people give you money. In a bad one, they don't. And I've had a lot of that because I've been in frontline sales all my life. Yes. So we're going to ask people for money. And of course, you're thinking, um, right, so you've got a problem with your lawn. You need your lawn mode, right? And a regular company would charge you 200. So of course, you're going to do it for 100. You're going yes. to do a good price. Um, and I want 50 up front. Because then it's, do you trust me not to run away with money? Do you trust me to do a good job? But yes. The proof will be, so we mowed your lawn. In fact, it wasn't me. Chris mowed the lawn for mm. you. So we mowed your lawn. Carl, how do you feel about it on a scale of one to ten? One is, my lawn is terrible. I hate you. I want my money back. In fact, I want more money to fix the lawn. Okay, sorry. Please don't tell anybody. If it's ten, oh, all my neighbours want it. And in fact, you know, I'd like to invest in your company. Then you've won. But it's, did you get value for money from that money? Yes. And of course... We did it for you for 100. We're not, everybody else pays more. You're a special advocate for us. Because if you're the, I mean, Carl, you'll be a perfect person for this. First thing you're going to do is tell all your friends, right, listen, everybody, best thing I ever did was get this mic to do my sure. lawn. That's how it works. So asking, but asking for money is hard. If I'm helping people with their businesses on a one-to-one basis or teaching people anything, entrepreneurship is fun. You can get it from the book. Teach them how to sell. 
teach shy people how to walk up to strangers and ask for money without feeling sleazy and uh, unpleasant. And also, everybody assumes, everybody that's not in sales, assumes sales is like selling cars of a forecourt. Mm. Now, that's a very specific model. You have cars on a forecourt. 100 yards down the road, there's an identical forecourt with identical cars. So you're going to say anything to keep them there and anything to sell to them, hopefully in a... Absolutely. In a sense way. What we do is different. You're different in some way. Mm. And you either trust me or you don't, or I'm local. There's, there's some reason why you should try me out. But mostly people buy on referral. So that's why us referring, uh, us promoting the book is more about telling everybody we can and hoping they're going to tell their friends. It might work, it might not, but we're giving it a good go, I'll tell you that. Yes, and the third part of the BMAT model. The third part? Find a mentor. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. Well, the second bit is find a customer. Yes. We've actually switched the order of that, because we say get a mentor first. But if nobody's buying your lawnmower, you don't need a mentor. So you've got a customer, Somebody, at least one person's bought it. Then mentor is the key to everything. Mm. I would say that your success uh, as an entrepreneur is about your ability to find and retain mentors, plural. Yes. But they can be subject matter experts. Somebody knows all about lawn mowing. Um, they can be somebody who knows a lot of people. I'll tell you who needs their lawn mode. Hmm. So the, the how and the who are the two main ones. There is a third question you answer when you're mentoring, which is why you're doing this, which in the early stages is really straightforward. To make some money. Yes. So you're making money good. If you're not making money bad. So put food on the table, as my friend Peter Roper says, put food in the fridge. He runs a family business practice. Lovely fellow. Um, later, it's like, have I got enough money? How, much, how many boats do I need to water ski behind? Or very specifically, this is where mentoring gets really interesting, is where... For an entrepreneur, it's gone from monopoly money, we're turning five million, ten million, to real money. Mm. Somebody's offered you money for the company, or said they would, sometimes they're lying. And this is like real money you can buy real things with. It's a very interesting process. Unless you've been through that process of selling a company, which I was lucky enough to do back in 1991, unless you've been through that, we suddenly like win the lottery. It's very odd. Yes. And that's when you need some serious mentoring. Or you meet people, or you see them on the television, they're rich, and their only point is getting richer. I mean, why? I mean, I could name names, but I better not really. I'll get, get in trouble. <laughs> These are clearly disturbed people who are just doing it because there's some deep-seated problem that they feel they need more money. I mean, of course, if you do make a success of yourself, you can go back to your old school, see the old mass master who said, you'll never make mm. anything out of yourself, Colin, and say, look, well, here's my big car. So yes. I proved you wrong. Let's just shake hands and I'll buy you a drink. Um, if you're going back every week, there's something wrong with you. Yes. But, but you can just for yourself once. Just They say, do you know what? Carl, I thought you'd never make nothing, anything of yourself, but well done you. I mean, you started as a hairdresser. I did. I started as a word, yes, hairdresser. And funnily enough, um, I, I, I don't know if he's listening or not. He <laughs> might listen. Um, but my first boss actually um, sent me a LinkedIn message. Oh, right. And bless him. In there, I've not got it in front of me, so I can't, I can't refer back to the precise words. But it was something along the lines of, when we took you on, you were a bit rough and ready. Yeah. And to be honest, we're surprised you made something of yourself. And you're ahead. This is when you were ahead. Oh, no, no. This, this was an, as a trainee accountant. Oh, a trainee accountant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, looking at you and hearing you speak and this, that and the other, if I'd just met you and somebody said, here's Carl, he's an interesting guy, accountant wouldn't have been what a, no. leapt out of me. But as a front end for an accountancy practice saying, look, I don't do the accounting. There's people cleverer than me and they're a lot more sensible. Listen, you should come to us and not to one of a million other companies than us because we offer this service but at the end of the day do you trust me because something goes wrong which occasionally does Carl's going to fix it and Carl cares about it and that and you're the visible face of the brand absolutely so I, w- I wanted to drill into something if that's okay yeah. um, you mentioned about mentors and yeah. 
something that I often talk about is having a almost a board of oh. non-execs. And they, they don't necessarily need to be on the board. They, they're not signed at company's house, but people you can call on yeah. for certain areas in your business. So, oh, Absolutely. But, um, uh, what, what makes a good mentor? Uh, you like them and they like you. That's the end. Because uh, you make a list of people who are good at lawn mowing mm. or good at business or whatever. But they like you and you like them on the basis of if you say... Could you help us out? I, I want to pick your brains on something. Can I buy you a coffee sometime yes. soon? They'll say yes, because you're fun and interesting. Now, non-exec is a very specific thing where you pay people to be on Absolutely. your board. But having a bunch of people you just call up, uh, you know, say, would you mind? I'm, I'm struggling with something mm. or something a bit weird happened. Can you help me? It's not a coach. It's somebody to say, oh, I'll tell you exactly why that happened. And here's what's wrong with you. And yes. Da, 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 da. So, but see, when you're younger, obviously you get mentored by your parents and older people and teachers. When you're older, you, you do the reverse. So we're all on a journey of being mentored to mentoring. Mm. And of course, we glibly put you know, mentor on the front of our book, and I must have mentored face to face about fifteen hundred people. Wow! And most of them I'll never see again. Mm. But it's very much on the basis of I care about you for this hour, but I don't want to invest in your business. I'm not interested in you. You may disagree with what I say. I do deal in certainty. Like I'll tell you precisely what to do mm. based on what I, I think. Now, I'm not a coach, or you know, let's have a sort of discussion about. It. There's no discussion with me. Just do that. It's a simple. Some do, some don't. Some have become friends life, and I've done some. Bits of you must have some real stories there as well. Well, I'll give you my two favourite ones. And again, this is something where I have no business relationship. Sure. But it was my passion, and I gave some advice, and here it worked. These are both from Liverpool. Okay. I was entrepreneur for the city of Liverpool for a few years, basically because I helped them get Richard Branson for a huge rent, and I mm. interviewed him and so on. But I, I'm pursuing my Beatles passion. Sure. I'm mad Beatles, but a bit like you in Southend, except with, that, with less football in it. <laughs> anyway, so I'm in Liverpool, and there's two people... Um, that I just, one, one was just a drinking buddy, really. This is Rogue Best, who's Pete Best's brother. Okay. But also the son of Neil Aspinall, who was the Beatles' road manager and then ran their company, Apple Corporation. Sure. So I'm with him in the pub and talking about Beatley things. And he explained to me that he had a thousand pieces of Beatles memorabilia in a lockup. Now, I felt this was an offence against the universe. Yes. And you've got to put this in a museum. Well, I thought about it. I met some guys and you know, they're going to rip me off. And he's just thinking, look, I'll be able to flog this stuff for whatever I want when I retire. Maybe that's what he's going to do. But I introduced him to just somebody in my network who's the guy who runs the Harry Potter shop at King's Cross. This very brilliant guy, Jonathan Sands. He also does the Bond in Motion exhibition. He came up to Liverpool. They, they found a building. That fell through. But Rogue then got the confidence to do it. And I'm just like, I'm out of here. It's like the best of luck. But when I saw Rogue on Facebook with a bunch of keys last November, I'm like, you've got a building? Yeah. The Magical History Museum opened last July. And I was there. Fantastic. And I, mean, I can argue that oh, this wouldn't be here if it wasn't mm. there. True, but I can honestly say that I was part of it. But I, I get to hang out with people there, so I've seen Beatles stuff that people will never see. I just follow my passion, and Rogue is going to make a fortune with this. It's opposite the cavern, it's 50, it's stunning. And I'm a Beatles anorak, yes, that was the first one. So I've, I've got a bit of Beatles history, and sure. Again, I'll be with uh, my grandchildren, saying, Of course, you know, I did. Oh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> time, time to go back to the sheltered accommodation. The other one was, was even better. This is just this is, this is a football story, this one. So I'm, I'm doing my, you can have a free hour with me kind of gig, which is lovely, mm. you know, come in, what's your name and what's yes. your big idea? Yeah. And I hope I, I make a difference to people. Anyway, this guy said, my name's Chris, I work for the council. So what's your big idea, Chris? Well, um, I thought I'd do a dinner. It's the 100th anniversary of my granddad's birth, do a dinner at St. George's Hall, which is a big okay. place. And I'm thinking, uh, okay, so, so who is your grandfather exactly? Bill Shankly. I'm like, <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> um, Ha, have you spoken to Liverpool Football Club about this? Well, I'm a season ticket holder. Do you think they'd be interested? I'm like, I can test that premise right away because I've been in Liverpool the day before. Yes. I got Bill Shankly's grandson and da, 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 da. Bring him in, bring him in, bring him in. And so he did this dinner. It didn't need my help. 
I went back there when, when the Magical History Museum opened. And I thought, how's Chris getting on? Mm. I knew what he'd done. He has the Shankly Hotel, which is the biggest grossing hotel in Liverpool. And he's okay. the chairman or something. And he's got all his memorabilia in there. It's the biggest grossing uh, hotel in Liverpool, he told me. Ironically, the guy who runs it is Adam Kenwright, who's Bill Kenwright's son, Bill Kenwright's chairman at Everton. Yes. But yes. But it's, it's, a, it's a theme hotel. You've got a hen night, mum and me, you go there. And there's Shanky memorabilia as well. But the best memorabilia he's got is um, Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon. Went to Liverpool to research his ancestry. Had a meeting with Shanky, nobody knows what happened. Gave him all the Apollo badges from 1 to 18. And one's quite poignant because they made it after he yes. died. And this is in the Shankly Hotel. So here are two things in Liverpool, which, you know, I can sit here and say, oh, it's only me, you know, mm. I did that. No, I didn't. I didn't run a hotel, I didn't do that. But I can look back and say, that little bit of advice that I did over a coffee or a beer has done some good in the world. Yes. I mean, other things I charge for, I charge for selling, let's be honest. If you want me to sell your stuff, you can pay me. And it's usually on the basis of if you sell good, if you don't sell, give us the money back. So, But I'm, you've made your mark in some way. I've made my mark in some way. And I'm, I'm looking for legacy Project. Of course, I'll mentor anybody. In fact, I say to hmm. people, probably dangerous saying it on this, look, I'm at an event. If you want for an hour's free mentoring, drop me an email. Most people don't believe me. I say, well, are you hmm. serious? I say, yeah. Here's how it works, which is, it will be at a time and a place to suit me. Yes. No offence. So if you can come to London next Thursday at four o'clock, I've got a lovely members club, which is great, Houses and Barnabas, you can now get an hour of my time. And some people turn up late or mess you about. Yeah, this is the way of the world. Yes. Most people don't thank you afterwards. But I must, I mentioned all these people, I've always given them a good, small piece of advice. Well, the next thing I would do would be that. And often it's find a foil, get a customer, the really mm. basic stuff. And sometimes I bump into them on the street and they say, well, I said, did you do that thing? I, mean, I remember what it was now. Sometimes I can't remember. Oh yeah, yeah, I did that. Well, well I was going to do that, but then I had a better idea. I thought, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do that. I'm like, okay, but welcome to the world of entrepreneurship. Because not everybody like you has gumption. No. I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to make lots of mistakes. I don't care. I will do stupid things. But there's always something that can get in the way. There's all... Uh, creative avoidance, I well, call it. Well, I mean, Brexit. I'm so... What a load of crap. I'm worried about Brexit. I'm not doing anything. I don't give a, don't give a toss about Brexit, mm. frankly. What a, what a complete... But then it's dislocation. It's change. So us entrepreneurs are going to find a way of making money yes. out of it. Somehow, whether we... Hard exit, soft exit. Who can, you know? That's politicians. Don't even get me started. Well, the, the thing is, we can we can never mark out the lines on the football pitch. No, exactly. We we can't we can't tell FIFA where to put the goals or how big yeah, the goals exactly. are. Um, I, I apologise for using a football analogy. Being a Tottenham supporter, you're probably not used to football. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, we can't yeah. we we can't um, we can't actually dictate the lines of a pitch or no. where the goals are. No. But all we can do is play to what we're given. Exactly. And there's a different place in the team. If you're a fast guy, you're on the wing, if you're slow mm. whatever. There's a place for everybody in entrepreneurship, especially I mean, just anybody listening to this. Think, are you a magnet? Are you the voice in the pub? Yeah, you won't believe what I've just done or something. Talking about themselves. Are you the maker, the quiet person, just the person you rely? Yes. we, we got a son like that. Rubik's Cube, that's how it works. He's got a, can mm. get a degree in chemistry. And then my wife is a monitor. You know, it's just, are we making any money here? And... She rather thinks more about money than I do, but that's a good thing. Yes. Yeah, where, where's the money? I mean, you've been talking about this, that, and the other. Where's the bottom line? That last person, again, you go to a firm of accountants or bookkeepers. And I, I love bookkeepers and accountants. They're good people who spend a small amount of time telling you what to do and stopping you going broke and making sure the tax man's off your back. Which, and let's be honest, um, as much as we want to follow our passions mm -hmm. and follow these big ideas we have, we need to make money at the end of it. Well, exactly. But then, you see, accountants and bookkeepers love what they do. I mean, I, mm -hmm. my VAT return, which I do every quarter, I have to teach myself how to do it. And it's my longest day. I'm like, is it lunchtime yet? <laughs> I'm not finish it. Okay. 
When I, my accountant told me this, just this last week was that, oh, sorry, more government bureaucracy. All your stuff which you've been doing manually, bits of paper on, whatever, has to go into an accounting package. Mm. So I thought, okay, so I get my receipts, I put them in the box and this, that, and then I add them up. Then I said to my wife, um, yeah, and he said that you, know, you have to put it uh, into some kind of accounting package. She said, I'll do that. Because she, well, she has, I'm sure she thinks she likes to do more, but she's quite happy doing it. She's good at it. Plus, she keeps an eye on what I'm spending. Yes. So she volunteers. I hope she's not listening to this. But, 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 but that's teamwork. <laughs> Absolutely. Without her, I would be bankrupt. And, you know, just because I, I just spend money on stuff on the basis of, well, it doesn't matter because I'll start another business tomorrow. You know, I'm the eternal <laughs> optimist like you. Something will work out, you know. Completely. Mike, we're going to go into some quick fire questions yeah, now. Go for it. So this is to um, close up the podcast and mm-hmm. really get an insight into you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one, I actually um, was inspired by a guy called Tim Ferriss. Oh, yeah. Fantastic podcaster. Mm-hmm. And this was the question where I really enjoyed listening to the answers. Okay. What is the best thing you've bought for less than £50 in the last six months? Cat litter. Cat litter. Okay, we've got cats at home. Okay. And my wife insists that they care that they get the world's best cat litter. Now, I used to go to a well-known chain in Aylesbury when I was going there, and sometimes they'd run out, then I'd lug it all the way home. And I bought it for half the price on Amazon. So in a way, I feel guilty about it, but on, on the other hand, it arrived the next day via Prime, which somehow I managed to sign up for. I'm not quite sure. sure I did that. So well, it could be just a small gadget or um, a set of earphones, because I've lost my earphones. Just... Small stuff I buy online and I apologise to all the small shop mm. people. Um, and we have a local shop where we live and he's just stopped selling newspapers. It's, it's a really weird thing. So just, I'll, I'll say cat litter and it's the best cat litter in the world and my cats were delighted, which makes me happy. Fantastic. Um, so apart from your own, mm-hmm. which book have you gifted to the most people? Oh, which book have I gifted to the most people? I would say um, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. I yes. love that book. I mean, he talks about the Beatles at one point, which makes it good. But it's just, it is, I mean, he's such an interesting guy. I mean, mm. He's not the sort of guy you think would be a public speaker. He's a very nerdy kind of chap. He is, and, and he goes nerd. very deep in his books as well, doesn't very he? Very deep, but it, there's clearly some deep and original thinking mm. coming there. Because most books I read, I think, I know where you got that from. I mean, you're very good. I, mean, I saw your video where you said, here's different types of people. This comes from Gerber, the even. Absolutely. Nothing, and please, quote the beer mad entrepreneur. Yes. As long as you do that. It's when people regurgitate my stuff and I'm thinking... I said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got got an interesting story on that, actually. Um, So one of the phrases that I keep coming out with is that business is no longer B2B or B2C. Mm -hmm. It's H to H, human to human. And I was was preparing for a podcast that I was interviewed for. And the two episodes I listened to, people had said that. I was like, oi, that's that's my saying. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, I um, I decided, right, I'm going to Google this. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much everyone says it. Mm -hmm. Now, I thought that I'd come up with it first. But who knows? There's so many people saying it. I could have been inspired somewhere. Sure. I'll give you another book, actually, which is completely mm. nothing to do with business. Just it's the book that I sell. In fact, I told somebody last week, get this book. This is very left field. It's a book called The Secret History of the World by Jonathan Black. Okay. Which is all the esoteric, mystical, and weird stuff. Where I know the guy quite well. It's Mark Booth is his real name. He's the non-fiction editor at Hodder. But he wrote this book about, you know, this goes from creation to the end of the world and all the, the wild and crazy stuff. We're not quite in David Icke territory, but it's stuff sure. you're thinking is a bit weird. Because uh, he's had a lot of um, people that have been initiated into some things tell him stuff. He's never been initiated into anything. And that book completely blows your mind on how the universe works. So Fantastic. That's a, that's a non-business book. Brilliant. Well, we'll put some links to those in the show notes. Yeah, um, yeah, that's going to be a job for, job for the team here to do. Um, <laughs> what is the one thing you wish you were told earlier in life? Um, earlier in life, that the education I was getting would be no use to me whatsoever. Because okay. I learned Latin and how to run the British Empire, 
which are two skills I've never had to use. Mm. Chris and I went to the same school, we were in different houses. He wouldn't go back for 40 years. He was unlucky to have a very bad housemaster. I had a brilliant one as my first mentor. Sure. But everything, I learned, I mean, I learned Latin to the age of 14 and no science. So, and also the, you've heard this a million times, when you're young, it's like, oh, you know, Carl stood up and he said something, you know, and go to school, it's shut up and sit down. Being taught by rote mm. is about the worst way of teaching anything. Some people respond well to it, but 95% don't. Absolutely. So school, what you learn at school, it's good going to school. You get to meet some people, but I'm not met Chris, but yeah, the stuff you learn at school is kind of irrelevant. Yes, uh, we, we are on the same wavelength with that, as you can sure. probably imagine. Um, what do you do that goes against all conventional wisdom? I just try things and worry about it later, which probably makes me not sure. And some of them, my wife, you know, I, I can see the, the mm. sharp intake of breath or the, the eyes rolling. I'm going to do this. Yes. I mean, I'm going to write a newspaper column as one. Are you? That's nice. And Chris was a bit, oh, the non-writer's writing a column, is he? Good luck with that. You know, you're going to have to raise your game. Again. <laughs> it's so, not as easy as it looks, is it? It's not as easy mm. as it looks, but I just get ideas. I'm going to have a go at that. But then, see, in Beermap, we talk about fast prototyping, which is really ask for money quickly. Yes. And the number of things where I've asked for money and not got it is quite a long list now. And some things I, I staggered on with. Learning when to say no is a very hard thing mm. or when to give up. But I'll just try something just for the hell of it. I'm trying a whole bunch of stuff promoting this book. Who knows if it's going to work? Fantastic. I, I'm a subscriber myself to Ready Fire Aim. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and just get yourself started. Just see where you end up and then Ask tweak accordingly. Exactly. Yes. Excellent. Three dinner party guests. Three dinner- dead or alive. Who would you have around oh, the table? Oh, okay. Uh, well, pick one of the two, dead or alive. Either. Okay, let's go for alive. Alive, okay. I would pick three people who you probably won't understand the context, so I'll explain. One would be a guy called Elliot Spencer. Okay. Second would be a lady called Jane Fallon. And the third would be a lady called Nancy Chevelle. Um, they are the other halves of, specifically, Stephen Fry, Ricky Gervais, and Sir Paul McCartney. Okay. In fact, at the dinner, I'd let them both there. Yes. Because, I mean, bizarre, I bumped into Ricky Gervais on Hampstead Heath. I was running yesterday. Mm. And, I, and I know him from my days when I was playing colleges, where he's an entertainment manager. He's always, oh, hello, Mike, how are you, Mike? Fab gear, mm. quite good. And Jane's always there. Yeah. Um, Brilliant guy, um, exactly the same as he was then. Stephen Fry, I know from QI shows and all that, he did a four to one of our books, but I've not met Elliot, his, his, his husband, because Stephen has been, you know, in a dark place. Mm. Elliot's made him happy, and why? Then Nancy Chevelle, okay, so Paul McCartney, I also wanted to know. Yes. So Paul, you know, tell us about the Hollywood Bob. But it's more, um, okay, his last wife didn't work out, Heather Mills McCartney, and everybody could see that coming. She's been with him seven years. They will all be fascinating in their own right. And it'll be the interplay between the two. So if I invited you, I'll bring your wife there, or partner or girlfriend, or whatever it is, on the basis of, you know, Carl's been talking for a bit. In fact, you're quite good at saying, Carl, that's enough. (laughs) uh, My wife would be fascinating. Just, you know, okay, he's full of this, but, you know. This is the reality. This is the reality. And um, that would make an interesting dinner party. I mean, in history, I'd go for King Solomon or something and and Napoleon. But, you know, it's live people who I vaguely know. Um, not with Paul McCartney, but I've seen him. But to find it. out the real them rather yeah. than the dinner party them. Yeah, and also how their life works in terms of, you know, when Sir Paul McCartney's being Sir Paul McCartney, he is just out of this world. And, and you've seen mm. all the, the latest um, stuff he did in the carpool karaoke with James Corden and Round Liverpool and all that. So when Paul's being Paul, oh, Paul McCartney, fascinating. Um, but then there's times when he can't be Paul McCartney. Can't, I mean, I yes. can't be Mike Southern at home. You can't be Carl Reader at home because it would be a bit like, please, you know, we're trying to have dinner. Or, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to watch the television. So how they are in the rest of their lives. and Because I've had lots of interesting perspectives on Paul McCartney from Pete Best because he was with mm. Hamburg. Mm. And just him talking about Paul in those days. Um, he's a young guy in Hamburg and 
just fascinating. So the other halves, because if they've lasted a long time, then they've been through the good parts and the bad parts. Yes. And they have a good sense of... Because at the end of the day, it's, it's, with any entrepreneurs, what is your... You ask me, who are you? My identity is the beer mat entrepreneur. Yes. In fact, talking about coaching, I probably told, I don't know if I told this story, I was in a dark place about three years ago. My coach explained to me I was the beer mat entrepreneur and just be that. We didn't think about writing the book again. Mm. Once you under, So you are the startup coach in yes. certain modes. I mean, maybe, maybe that's not what you have in the future, but at the moment, you're the startup coach. What does that mean? What does it stand for? Because there's a strong sense of ethics in the beer mat entrepreneur. There was in the first book, and we've toughened it up. You mm. don't have to be a total bastard to get on in business. A lot of people do, and that's one way of doing it. And they say, I'm a total bastard. That's how I get on in business. I shout at everybody. Very successful, lots of money. Not the path that you or I would take. Yes. Because you want people to work with you, not for you. Absolutely. And, and having those, um, that alignment of your own um, values and mm. vision as an individual as well as, well as, as a business, exactly. it's absolutely vital. Absolutely. Okay. If the listeners were to take one tip away from this podcast, mm-hmm. what would you like it to be? Find a foil. Okay. Find your opposite. So first understand yourself. This is yes. the biggest study you have. So who am I and what do I do? I mean, I look at you on the internet. I've got a pretty good idea of who Carl Reed or the startup yes. coach is. So who's got all those, the other qualities, which are just as mm. important. You go out and you make promises. You're a magnet. You do what I do. Who's the person you can find who shares your beliefs and attitude and so on about life, the universe and everything, but does all the stuff that you hate to do? Because the magic currency in business is not money, it's time. Yes. How do you spend your time? And of course, we all know that if we're doing something we love, it's, oh gosh, is it six o'clock already? So us public speakers... We speak for now, it's like 10 minutes. Yes. For the audience is like days, but there we go. So timekeeping is a very careful thing. When you're doing something you love, you rush through it. You can do several things in a day. Mm. When you're doing a VAT return, in my case, it's your it worst. Hours, it takes hours, doesn't it? hours, and you need a holiday after, and yep. four, and, and, and. So if you learn to manipulate time, this is what alchemy really is, in a lot of ways. Not turning lead to gold. It's finding ways of finding 48 hours in a day. Because if you're successful, people say, how can you possibly be doing all of those things and succeeding? Yes. Yeah, I'm doing these things and they work. It's not just a potential do it. And that's because you're in flow, as some people say. You've learned how to manipulate time and you're doing something you love. And as I think Edison said, if you do, do something you love... It's not work. Uh, you never, never work a day's work in your life. Absolutely. Um, two last questions. Yeah. One it. of them is very easy and one of them you'll need to think about a little bit more. Right, okay. Um, so the one for you to think about, tell me one fact about yourself that the guests won't know. Okay, something about me that people won't know. I'm quite into gardening. And I don't know where this came from, but about t- uh, 10 years ago or something, I suddenly st- I've got this lovely little garden in Hampshire we have, um, and I've started gardening. I mean, people don't look at me and think, oh, there's a gardener. And no. I, I am rubbish at it. I just get something from the garden, put it in, and some of them die. So that lawnmower business you were talking about earlier. Do you know, I need a new <laughs> it's lawn. It's deep down, isn't it? Well, it's, it's deep down. No, it's just, I love the garden. I love being there. I sure. Love, I was clearing stuff yesterday. It's just, it's a fun thing. It's kind of a legacy thing. And mm. I think, well, maybe our son will have it afterwards, or grandchildren, whatever. So gardening... I'm disproportionately interested in than you would actually think. Fantastic. And it's not in my biography, so... And finally, mm-hmm. where can the listeners find you? Where can the listeners find me? Well, uh, I am mikesouthern.com, and there's beermat.biz, and I'm south on. I am everywhere on social media. If you can't find me, I think entrepreneurship is maybe secondary to working in a council or something. But people can find me everywhere online, and I answer my own emails. I don't have a PA. If you send me an email, I will respond to it. My only tip is the shorter the email the quicker the response you will get. So an email like, when can I have an hour's free mentoring? That's easy, I'll tell you precisely when. And we'll find a time. And if I'm doing one good in the world, it's the mentoring. Everything else is, is kind of a detail. If I've mentored people, then I will leave a lasting legacy, like I have hopefully in Liverpool, a small bit. Fantastic. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. 
Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory, helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.